you have a Bible, please open it to Romans chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, the text is printed on the bulletin on the front this time. I knew I'd only have a few minutes afforded to me, so I have a smaller selection of notes. Well, there is no ABF after this, so I suppose we could just keep going, but, you know, Holly would have my head. And what I want to consider this morning as we think about the cross, the death, and burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to think particularly how it relates to probably the most common objection that I hear to the notion of God, the probably the most common objection you hear when you try to share your faith with someone, and that is the, the problem of evil. Because I believe very clearly Paul teaches in this passage in Romans 3 that Jesus' death on the cross resolves, solves, answers the problem of evil. And if you haven't heard the problem of evil, it goes something like this. The unbeliever, the objector says, if God is all-powerful, he's sovereign, and if he's all-good, then why do bad things happen? Especially, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, If you've taken a semester of philosophy at college, you know this problem under the heading of theodicy problem of evil. And it's supposed to be a real gotcha. The notion is only of three of those propositions can exist. God is good. God is all-powerful. Bad things happen to good people. And only two of those, it is said, can be, can be true. I want to examine that. Now, and I want to look at how the cross answers that and how Paul answers that. There, there is an answer. The scripture deals with this. However, I think you'll see the way the Apostle Paul formulates it, the way um, God answers it, is a little different. See, in the construction that man comes up with, God is in the dock. God is the defendant who must give an account for himself. There are these people. They're good people. They're nice people. They're valuable people. And these bad things keep happening to them. And if God says he's so good, and if God says he's so powerful, then he really needs to explain himself. That's not the way God answers the problem of evil. I want you to read with me Romans 3, 21 to 26. And if you've read through Romans, you know that Paul introduces the gospel, his good news. He's excited about back in chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. But then the Apostle Paul seemingly takes a detour. And for the next two and a half chapters, he doesn't talk about the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. He talks about the sinfulness of man. Until finally, in chapter 3, this passage, he returns again. We read this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested Apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. 
Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The cross is the center of the Christian faith. The cross is the center of the gospel. And on the cross, as we understand it rightly, a problem of evil is taken care of, resolved, dealt with. Why do bad things happen to good people? According to Paul in Romans, that's only ever happened once, and he volunteered. You see, to answer the problem of evil, Paul first has to lay out man's sinfulness. If you go back a little further in your Bibles, he ends this section in Romans prior to our passage by this. Verse 9, what then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, which means everybody, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's what sets up this passage. Paul has just ended an extended argument on the corruption, the sinfulness of man. There is no one who is good. There is no one who seeks for God. There is no one who is righteous. So as you try to grapple with the problem of evil, I think the normal construction has it backwards. It presents evil as something out there. There are these nice people, and the nice people want to know, why is there evil? In Paul's construction of the problem, what is the problem with the world? We are. You are, and I am. We are what's wrong with the world. That's Paul's conclusion and summary. And so that then frames the problem of evil very differently. We speak of Jesus dying on our behalf that we might be justified. In this passage, the Apostle Paul also dares to speak of Jesus dying that God might be justified. So I just want to look at this very briefly in two points. Point number one, Jesus died to demonstrate the righteousness of God. Jesus died to demonstrate the righteousness of God. Now that phrase, the righteousness of God, which was first introduced back in chapter one, why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And in our passage here, four times we read, verse 21, now the righteousness of God. Verse 22, the righteousness of God. Verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness. There's something about Jesus' death, Paul is saying, that puts on display, that reveals, that verifies God's 
righteousness. So how does that work? I want you to zoom in and look at verse 25. And ask yourself a further question. Why is it, why was it necessary for Jesus to be crucified publicly? Paul insists that the, Jesus being crucified publicly was necessary. It's part of the plan. It's, it's, it's stated here this way. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's a big word for something that absorbs, removes wrath or anger. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. God put Jesus forward. This didn't happen in the back room. It happened on a hill called Golgotha. And God did this to show his own righteousness. See, here's, here's the amazing thing about God's answer to the problem of evil. The problem of evil is not why... Why do bad things happen to good people? The problem of evil is this. How does God know what you and I thought, said, did in the last, I don't know, 24 hours and not rid the world of us? How is anyone with him in heaven? They're sinners after all. Our passage here makes that clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The problem of evil is not God answering to man why he lets bad things happen to us. The problem of evil is we being evil have a real problem with a holy God, and how can this holy God not destroy us? And so Paul says, God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. See, God had not sentenced Abraham to hell, David, and the Old Testament saints. And myriads of angels witness these things, and possibly are confused. How is this holy God dwelling with these people? And at the right time, 2,000 years ago, God puts his son forward he says, here, I am righteous. I am just in what I've done. Here is the propitiation. Here is the substitute. Here justice is done, which means point A, Jesus' death. In his death, he justifies God for passing over sins. It's amazing. When Paul deals with the problem of evil, it is not God giving an account to us for why bad things happen to us. It is God having to justify himself to the universe for why he passes over sin. Which means then, point B, Jesus' death resolves the problem of evil in the world. You see, up until that point, not all sin was paid for. People who had been Sinners, people who had committed grievous acts of sin. David stole a man's wife, killed him. And yet David did not pay the full penalty for his sin. Where was justice? You can, you can imagine Bathsheba's father watching on the sidelines as Nathan tells David, you're not going to die. The Lord has taken away your sin. How is that righteous? How is that just? How is that good? These aren't the problems we generally think of. If we're going to grant that God exists at all, he exists to do nice things for us. But the God of the Bible, if he is anything, is holy. He is the thrice holy God. 
holy, 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 the angels call out. And so the problem of evil and sin in the world is not God giving some reckoning to us, but rather God having to justify himself, to publicly make it known. This is how God is righteous in passing over sins. That is the meaning of the cross. The cross is not the declaration of our worth and our value. It doesn't show us just how valuable we are. The cross shows just how corrupt we are. This is what was required that we would not be destroyed. Only when the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, only when he was crushed on our behalf could justice be done and could we dwell with God. The cross reveals that God will settle all accounts. God will balance all scales. Justice will be done in the world. That's what the cross reveals. It demonstrates God's righteousness. It doesn't just end there. Our passage makes at least one other point I want to look at briefly, and that is this. Not only Jesus died to demonstrate the righteousness of God, but this then makes way for the good news that Jesus died to provide the righteousness of God. Justice having been done, accounts being settled, we now can receive God's righteousness by faith. See, on the cross, our sin was righteously punished in him. See, the nature of the good news, the Christian gospel, is not that by God's help you can become a better and better person and one day deserve to be in God's presence. The good news of the gospel is that we have a substitute. Someone stood in our stead, took our punishment. He received the just penalty for our sin, and now we are offered the ability to receive his righteousness. That's what it means for Jesus to be put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The scales are balanced, and on the cross, our sin was righteously punished in him. That's why Jesus had to die. He he was not a sinner. He committed no sin. There was deceit found in his mouth. But we are. And so part of understanding the cross is understanding that that is everything you and I are. Deserve. And then we begin to see the love of a father who sends his son. And the love of a son who willingly stands in our place, receives our punishment. You see, the the cross settles the ultimate dilemma for man and God. And And the dilemma is this. It would seem as though God can either be just or merciful. If he's just, then every violation of his law and every sin receives a full punishment and all of humanity goes to hell if God is just. Or he can be merciful and God can say, it's okay, I forgive you, it's okay. And that's merciful, that is kind, but it's not just. He's no longer righteous. He no longer can claim that he upholds a law. He's just very, very nice. And the cross enables God, here's Paul's language, I love this, to be both just and the justifier. Meaning, through the cross, God can be the one who always does what is right. He himself is just, and he is also the one who is able to justify, to declare righteous. 
those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me tell you an illustration that I heard um, right about the time I became a Christian from Christopher Parkening to illustrate how this works. Christopher Parkening told the story of a, of a king and a kingdom, a good and right king. And it became apparent one day that someone was stealing money from the royal treasury. And so um, he consulted the laws, books, and they posted that there would be a penalty of 10 public lashings if the person who was stealing the money from the treasury had come forward. No one came forward. The next month, more money was missing. The penalty was raised to 20. Next month, no one came forward. 30 until up to 40. And 40 might kill a strong man. And they discovered who had been taking the money from the treasury. And to everyone's amazement, it was the king's own mother, a frail old woman who was very, very sorry. She was contrite and she was caught. And the king's enemies believed that they had him on the horns of a dilemma. The king had publicly declared what the penalty was. The king had publicly declared what would happen. And now the kingdom would see, presumably, the king either make an exception for his mother, in which case they could deride him and mock him. Oh, he talks tough when it's other people, but oh, when it's his mom, well, then we make exceptions. Or the king might even administer the punishment to his mother, and she surely would die. And then we could deride him as heartless, ruthless, cold, unloving. He put his mother to death. So on the day of the, the court trial and sentencing, all of the kingdom gathered, the mother was brought before the king. She was repentant, contrite, weeping in tears, asking for mercy. And the king pulled out the scroll that listed the punishment of 40 lashings. And there was a hushed quiet in the, in the kingdom, in the court. The king looked over to one of his soldiers and said, prepare to administer punishment. And the crowd gasped. He's, he's going to go through with it. He's really good to do this. The mother is brought over, and she was bent over. Uh, they have a, like a, a log that you bend over and to expose the back. But before the, the lash came down, the king said, stop. And he got up, and he, and he took off his robes, and he went over to his mother, and he leant over her. And from that position, he said, administer the punishment. And the king received 40 lashes. And that day, the king's subjects saw him both be just, as justice was carried out, and merciful. No one could argue that the king did not take his law seriously. No one could argue the king did not love his mother. You see, the problem of evil, our evil, is solved on the cross. The problem of God having to choose between being just or being loving is resolved. On the cross, mercy and justice meet. The Lord Jesus Christ received the full punishment for our sin, the full wrath of God, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we might receive mercy. God is able to justly justify guilty sinners. He can do it justly because of what Jesus did. That is the meaning of the cross. That is the meaning of the cross. There's one other important point here that I, I want to look at, and then we'll be done. And that is another phrase that shows up repeatedly in this passage, the condition 
for receiving this forgiveness. You see it in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, verse 26, was to show his righteousness at the present times that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This righteousness provided for us by Jesus on the cross is counted only to those who are trusting in Jesus, who are having faith in Jesus, who are entrusting themselves to Jesus. The Reformation doctrine of justification by faith. We partake in this blessing, this great exchange through faith. We recognize who we are. We are the guilty party. We are the one in the dock, not God. We have no excuse, but we have a substitute. We have a mediator. We have a sacrifice. We have a propitiation. And we look to him by faith. And in that faith, we receive his righteousness. We receive forgiveness. This is the meaning of the cross. This is the gospel. And so I... Just wanted to take a few moments this morning and consider these things. You see, man becomes so arrogant and we become so entitled. And if we're going to believe in a God, he, he jolly well needs to be a God who pleases us and who meets our standards. And, and God may even have to give an account for himself. The God of the Bible is holy and we are the ones who must give an account to him. See, we have it backwards because we've made ourselves God. We've put ourselves at the center of the story. And so that's humbling, and that's hard to hear. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time. But if you will humble yourself, God will exalt you. If you will recognize your sinfulness, if you will look to the Son of God, you will be forgiven. This is why he died. This is the meaning of Resurrection Sunday or Easter. Because the grave could not hold him. Because he was sinless, because he was the Son of God, he rose again, proving that he is worthy, worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration, worthy of your and my faith. Let's pray. Lord God, guard us from the arrogance that comes to you demanding you give answers to us. Guard us from that presumption. Lord, we are the guilty party. We are the offenders. You are the offended. And miracle of miracles, even as we defy you and fight against you and war with you. In love, you sent your son. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. And so, Lord, we don't, we don't draw near to you claiming our own merit, claiming our own, claiming our own work, our worth, bringing our excuses. We, we admit our guilt, guilty as charged, but Jesus died and rose again on our behalf. And he is our confidence. He is our steadfast hope. He is our satisfaction for sin, and no other. In Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed. The coffee, the donuts, they're all downstairs in the gymnasium. If you need it, we have an elevator as well. We invite you, even if you weren't planning on it, to come join us for a Resurrection Day brunch. There is plenty of food. The Lord bless you. 
The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. You are dismissed.